Welcome to Late Kick is Live. It is Tuesday night, November 23rd, the year of our Lord, 2021, our last show before Thanksgiving. So if I don't tell you between now and then, happy Thanksgiving. We're jam-packed. We're high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee. You know, if you hadn't tracked a plane this week, do you really love this sport? I mean, are you really fully invested with your heart and your soul if you haven't tracked a random plane number owned by the University of Florida, Louisiana State University? It's a fun time of year. And unfortunately, those universities a while back found a way to take those off the public tracker record list, but there are still ways around that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you will before the show is over. The very latest on all of the coaching whispers and intel and who's going where and who's staying put, even some news on that front today. Of course, we're about to react to the playoff rankings. Uh, Producer Jesse and Director Colin have feverishly been putting the final touches on some graphics for us. Kind of like a Tuesday and Thursday show combined for us tonight because we're going to do rankings reaction, but we're also going to do final predictions for games. We're going to do marquee games tonight. We're going to hit the Iron Bowl. Of course, we're going to hit the game, Michigan-Ohio State, the game we will be on the sideline for this Saturday. And I've got several thoughts on all of that, not to mention we're adding one, two, three, four, five, six more best bets on the Ramen Noodle Express. By the end of this show, you will have 11 total. I think one of them's going on right now. So you'll have 10 that you could actually bet total. Uh, there's a lot going on. So don't miss these shows. I wanna thank you before we start tonight, and then I wanna give you a bit of bad news before we start tonight. Uh, first, the good news. The good news is, uh, this is number 208, right? So Late Kick Live number 207, was our highest viewed show ever, both in terms of live concurrent viewers, replay views. We had an average viewership of over 23 and a half minutes in length, which is two times the insanity that normally a record would be. So thank you so much for all that. Everybody noticed, so thank you for that. Uh, some very, very bad news, heartbreaking news out of Tuscaloosa earlier. Cecil Hurt, who has covered Alabama since I've been alive, passed away earlier today. Uh, he had complications with pneumonia. He's been battling that for quite a while. And so he passed away today. Never went to an Alabama game that I didn't see him at. And I've been blessed to be at a lot of them, especially in the latter portion, as it turned out, of his career and his life. So, man, it was an honor to always see him because that's a voice that those of us who grew up in the South grew up knowing. And it's a voice that we knew through the written word, even if you didn't get to see him in person like I did. I read him long before I ever saw him in person. So Cecil Hurt, very impactful to a lot of us down here. He's one of those folks who probably could have gone elsewhere, could have done other things, but stayed on that same beat, that Alabama beat. And he was an institution on that beat because of that. So rest in peace, Cecil Hurt. Um, prayers and thoughts with his family and loved ones tonight. A very, very tough time for a lot of folks around that program and obviously his family and friends. There's no easy way to transition, so we'll just hard transition out of that. Big Tuesday night here. Playoff rankings just released. As I always say, the paper is still hot. It just came out of the printer, even though all this looks hand-drawn. So let's recap this. For those of you who did not choose to tune in and you just want to get the information here first, uh, thank you so much. Al Georgia's number one. I don't think we need to waste much time with that. Ohio State did jump Alabama, which we expected. So they're number two, Bama's three. There sits the Cincinnati Bearcats at number four. We obviously are going to talk a lot of Cincinnati over the next five minutes. Uh, Michigan is five. Notre Dame sitting there at six. I got some thoughts on Notre Dame, as I have for about the past month. And then we've got the Big 12, essentially. We got Oklahoma State seven, Baylor eight. We got Ole Miss sitting there at nine. And then Oklahoma is number 10. 
I want to take you back to the preseason when we did a segment. Colin, we did several segments, by my recollection, about Cincinnati. And we took some heat. Can you believe that? Some people criticized us. It's always us when we get criticized. It's me when we get praised. It's the opposite of the way leadership is supposed to work, I'm told. I kid. But seriously, we did take a lot of heat because we said, for the first time ever, regardless of what our personal opinion is, I'll get to my personal opinion in a second, we believed on this program, if Cincinnati went undefeated, there was going to be a spot for him in the playoff. We did not believe in the conspiracy that the committee had always met behind closed doors and brushed past the cigar smoke in their faces to look at a grease board and say, how are we going to keep that G5 team out this year? It's not like that. They haven't deserved to be in. The G5 teams have not deserved a spot. We have believed that team was going to, by the own metrics and data listed by the committee, deserve to be in. Okay, I've stood by that opinion all year. That has not changed. As of this night, that has not changed. That has been my feel on how the committee will handle Cincinnati. Now, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to give you my personal opinion, and it's going to sound really murky. It's going to sound really hypocritical, but it's not. There's the committee over there, and I'm telling you what I think they'll do. And then there's me over here, committee of one, and what I would do. But that's not where I want to start. Have you looked at Notre Dame lately? I think you have, because I look at my inbox and a lot of you are talking about the Irish. There is what we are going to end up calling on this show, the looming Notre Dame conundrum. And I try and work conundrum in at least once a week. I often fail, but here we go. The Notre Dame conundrum that looms is for the first time ever, I think this program is going to cost itself a shot in the college football playoff because it is not in a conference. It's never happened before. It's always been rumored. It's been fabled. It's been something that you say, oh, one day, one of these days, you know, Notre Dame not being in a conference is going to bite them. This is probably your day. This is probably your year. And I have maintained for a long time that I do not think anyone in South Bend, Indiana cares about your opinion on whether Notre Dame should be in a conference or not. They don't care about mine, yours. They don't care about any conference commissioner's opinion. The only thing that was ever going to possibly entice the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame to join a conference is if it really bites them in terms of wallet and in terms of postseason inclusion. And it could do both this year. Now, Notre Dame's not going to hurt for money, but it will hurt them, make no mistake, if they're sitting there 11-1 and one and they are watching conference champs go to a playoff that they know good and well they would be in had they locked down an ACC championship. And I would feel very good, for the record, about Notre Dame winning the ACC if they resided in that conference this year. I mean, we're talking right now, as far as I can tell, about potential scenarios that include Cincinnati versus Notre Dame. This is once we get to the end of the year, there is no debate here. If Cincinnati's a 13-0 conference champ, they're in over Notre Dame. If there's one spot left for both of them, that's done. Uh, Notre Dame, uh, an 11-1 Notre Dame, no conference championship against a 12-1 Oklahoma State, there's no debate. They're in. I don't think Notre Dame gets in over a 10-2 non-conference champ, Bama, if they're competitive against Georgia. So... All that would be rectified, at least enough of it would be rectified if they had a conference championship. They're not going to have one, and therefore you could very well see Notre Dame on the outside looking in for the first time ever because of that point and that point alone. Now, they could still have some chaos break their way, obviously, and still make it in. Uh, those are some of the disaster scenarios that we've talked about, and we'll talk about more. So I've been having arguments back and forth with several folks today about what ended up being talked about at length on television, I would imagine tonight, and that is this path where we see a 12-1 and 1 Big 12 champion 
Oklahoma State, and Cincinnati at 13-0 as a conference champ in the AAC, and they're fighting over one spot. This could happen. It actually could come down to this. Uh, obviously, the way this would happen is something along the lines of Georgia wins out therein. Ohio State or Michigan win out therein. So you got two spots there. And then whatever happens to that number three spot and that number four spot, there are several different ways that could break, but there are scenarios where you have an either or. You have either Cincinnati makes it in or you have Oklahoma State make it in. But the way that people are really looking at it is if Bama beats Georgia. If Bama beats Georgia, both of them are going to the playoff. And then if you got that Big Ten champ in there, three of your spots are already taken up. And that's where the either or comes into play. And it's either a 13-0 Cincinnati or a 12-1 Big 12 champ Oklahoma State. Look, I know I led this by telling you, as I have all year, I think they're going to put Cincinnati in this thing if they're undefeated. And I'm going to reiterate my personal opinion on what the committee will do is I think they're going to put them in. That's what I think they do. Now I'm going to tell you what the committee of one would do. This would take me about two milliseconds. I would stamp Oklahoma State in. There would not be a moment's hesitation in my mind because I would revert right back to the same thinking I've always had. You are not about to sit there as an Oklahoma State Cowboy team and beat, what, the number 10 team this week, theoretically, and then the number 8 team in Baylor maybe next week in the conference championship game and still not rise above a G5 conference champ and a G5 conference champ whose strength of schedule is in the 100s because their own conference let them down this year. So I was texting back and forth with our buddy Daniel, part of the College Football Nerds channel, because he's on the other side of this. He believes Cincinnati should be in. And so I was giving him my thoughts, and he was giving me his point of view. He said, well, let me hit you with a little counter there. He said, the parts of Oklahoma State's schedule that they could control they scheduled week out of conference competition. The parts of Cincinnati's schedule that they could control, they went and dialed up Indiana. Power five team, really good last year. Uh, Notre Dame, and went on the road for both of them and beat them. I acknowledge that. That's baked into my opinion. That's the reason I've taken Cincinnati serious all year. So please don't think I'm discounting that. Even having said all that, I'm telling you, if I've got a power five conference champ and not a weak power five conference, this is not the Pac-12 or the ACC, the Big 12, you're looking, or you have looked momentarily, or just a few moments ago, at the top 10. The, the Big 12 has three of the top 10 right now. This is not a weak conference. And so if you're winning that conference, and at the very end, you're beating two top teams in order to achieve that, yeah, you're going to my playoff. I happen to think I'm wrong on how the committee's going to handle it. So we'll see. Probably also has a lot to do with how Cincinnati disposes of East Carolina and Houston if, in fact, they do win both of those games. There are still several disaster scenarios in play, or maybe they're not a disaster to you. Maybe you're rooting for these things to happen. You've still got the Big Ten bumper car potentially in play, and that would include Wisconsin having to pull an upset in the Big Ten title game. And it would simply look like this. Don't care who wins Saturday. We're going to go to Ann Arbor Saturday. We're going to watch Ohio State play Michigan. Whomstever comes out of that game is the winner. If they go to Indianapolis and they get beat by Wisconsin, and Wisconsin, by the way, in case you didn't notice, is ranked 13th right now, and they're playing their best football, wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. Uh, that would leave the Big Ten on the outside looking in. Shockingly, I know, but it would leave them on the outside looking in. You also have a distinct possibility of the Big 12 bumper car scenario. Right now, Oklahoma State looks to be the best shot out of that conference. But I, I got a couple questions, actually, about the Big 12. 
can Oklahoma make it? Like Oklahoma's sitting there at, what, 10 right now. Uh, they're a one-loss team. They could still win the conference. They would be a one-loss conference champ. I wonder, can they make it in? I mean, there's, there's some people out there who think yes and people who think no. I'm not an expert on this stuff. I'm just telling you, I'm looking at the resumes. If you're watching on YouTube, Jesse's, it's a pretty graphic, by the way, he made. He's showing them to you. And what about Baylor? Baylor's 9-2, and two, but they're ranked 8th right now. And Baylor still has potentially a Big 12 championship game of their own to play against either Oklahoma or, well, against Oklahoma State, I guess it would be. Um, can they make it in? Or could the Big 12 be left out entirely? Could Oklahoma win Saturday and then get beat in the rematch a week later against Oklahoma State? All of these things could happen. But I'll tell you the one I want to know. Uh, this would, I mean, this would cause some surefire five alarm puckering in my home state. If Georgia goes to the SEC championship game, and you got an itch right there between my eyes. If Georgia goes to the SEC championship game and they win, this is a moot point. If Georgia goes to Atlanta and they lose a close game to Alabama, where are they going to fall? They're not falling out, obviously. Where are they going to fall? This is very important. This is critically important. I'm not a believer they would fall all the way to four. I'm a believer they would fall to number three at worst. And let me tell you what that would mean. What that would mean is you're no longer undefeated and you did not just win a conference championship. Now you're still in the playoff, but here's where the reset button happens. All of a sudden, instead of being SEC champion, one seed undefeated Georgia, you are division winner, one loss Georgia that is not the one seed and you may have to play Ohio State in round one. And at that point, Georgia and Georgia fans more specifically, this is how quickly things can change. I did a segment on this a couple of weeks ago. This is why immense pressure is on Georgia. Things can change so radically and so quickly because if you lose to Bama, all of a sudden you're looking and you're saying, whoa, we got to play Ohio State. And if you're playing Ohio State, it's because they're in the playoff, which means they beat Michigan and they beat Wisconsin and are probably playing lights out football in the process. And you're going to look and you're going to say, we got to go play them now. Uh, if we lose that game, what are we? Well, we're 12 and two with no conference championship and no college football playoff win. Like, what are we? That's why the regular season stuff is meaningless. They know it in Georgia. I'm telling you, I've tried to make this point on the show. That we've been in such cruise control mode with Georgia because they've been so good all year. This is where the pressure starts. This is where it really ramps up. So that's what I'm paying attention to. If they win, they're number one. If they lose, I want to know where they are. Uh, the other thing is... I kind of talked about this already. I really wonder who can get in at this point and who can't. I think a lot of that's going to have to do with how teams play this Saturday. But that Cincy, that Cincy conundrum and the Notre Dame conundrum, those are going to be really fun to watch. I got to talk to you a second as I adjust my chair again. I got to talk to you about um, some friends of mine. And uh, they are named Academy Sports and Outdoors. Weird, I know, but you check the birth certificate. That's exactly what it says. I had to do some shopping. I, I, I am Mr. Integrity. I did not use the gift cards they've given me. That is for you guys. And by the way, if you are in Ann Arbor this Saturday, I'm going to have a fresh round of gift cards in my pocket. It's going to be buried deep in the pocket because I'm going to have several layers on. Uh, but Academy Sports and Outdoors, as we wrap up 2021, it's been a relationship. It's been a partnership that we did not even know we were going to have going into the summer. But then again, the numbers that we have on this show, we didn't know we were going to be capable of going into the summer. So when we get into February, we have some time to unwind and we can tell you a little bit more. And I have time, frankly, to tell you a little bit more about the evolution of this past six months. 
It's going to be a fun story when I can tell you, but Academy Sports and Outdoors is an integral part of that story. And so normally what happens in these podcasts is when you get a partnership, they send you ad copy. It's normally seasonal. And therefore, if you listen to your favorite podcast out there, it's normally someone reading off a sheet of paper and they have prepared copy because the company does not trust that person to just wing it. Academy, I don't know if this is smart on their part or not, they have trusted me to just wing it. They have sent me ad copy as backup. But they have been so instrumental in so much of the traction that we've been able to get as a show within this company. This is not just 24-7, guys. It's Viacom CBS. They're a really big deal. That market cap is in the billions and billions and billions. And our show around here, while we've been successful, we don't have a B on the front of our totals that we generate around here yet. Academy has helped us greatly. And so the reason that I reiterate this to you over and over again is because I can, you would be surprised at how many times I open my inbox and folks just flat out ask, what can I do to help the show? Some of you wanna make graphics, uh, some of you wanna do animations for us, and by the way, you have. But a lot of you just, you love the community that we have here and you just wanna participate any way you can. This is how you do it. I mean, you subscribe to the channel, you leave the five-star reviews in the pod, but you patronize our partner, not partners. We don't, we don't mess the show up with a bunch of advertising. We got one partner, and they make a lot of this possible. They keep the show free. And so as we wrap up this year, I, I wanna tell you the story down the road, but I'm just, here's enough of the story. They make a lot of what we do possible, and so I really appreciate it when you guys, in turn, show them a little love in doing the kind of shopping you have to do anyway this time of year, never a better time. And if you can't get to an Academy Sports and Outdoors in person, academy.com. It's there, I just checked it as of five minutes ago. The website is operational and working. Okay, uh, this is a big, big week. It is rivalry week, obviously. We are going to head to Michigan. I've never been to the Ohio State-Michigan game. I grew up in the South, well-documented by this point. And so I grew up around the Iron Bowl. We're going to talk about that game later. I grew up around Georgia, Florida, uh, Bama, Tennessee. Believe it or not, kids, once upon a time was a huge rivalry too. And I always heard about OU Texas. And I always heard about Ohio State, Michigan. But I didn't know about it. And I still have never witnessed this in person. But I remember even a wee JP used to watch these games. And I, I tell my buddies who just bathed in the SEC Kool-Aid. Guys, I think there may be something north of the Mason-Dixon line. And they would say, shut up. No, there's not. My daddy told me there wasn't. Well, there is. And now, at least one of us gets to temporarily leave our roots and head up to the great white north, and we get to witness this in all its splendor Saturday. Uh, there are so many factors that make this must-see television. The first one, which is not even really one of the factors I listed, this is what college football is all about. Saturdays in the fall, rivalry weekend, this is what college football is all about because there's no safety net under this game. They're either going to win this one or they're going to go play for something less than they really want to. Did you know number one and number two play in college basketball tonight? Because I didn't until about 45 minutes ago. That's what a huge postseason does. It renders your regular season completely and utterly meaningless. We don't have that in this sport yet, thank the Lord. And therefore, these kinds of games are total do or die. It's going to be a war. So that's not even one of the listed reasons. Here's part one of why this is going to be must-see. It's the rivalry aspect in and of itself. These teams didn't play last year. Did you forget that? I don't think the Ohio State Buckeyes did. I don't think Michigan did either, but I really don't think Ohio State has forgotten. Oh, by the way, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, this is the recent history. See that? That's ugh, recent history of this rivalry. It's ugly. Don't bother watching the replay if you're a Michigan fan. However, 
Here's the second thing you need to know. And this is what makes it, I think, the most appealing on a national scale, even if you don't care about the playoff implications and even if you're not a fan of one of these teams, both head coaches feel great about where their teams are. Both programs feel like they're playing their best football. They are peaking at the right time, are the Buckeyes and the Wolverines. Fantastic theater, even if you don't love the sporting aspect, if you just love the storyline aspect, it's gonna be great. I got a question for you. How would you attack Michigan if you were Ryan Day? You're looking at what you have, a plethora of offensive weapons. If you're Ohio State, if you're Ryan Day, how would you attack Michigan? You really got two options here. You can either go for the throat immediately and you can attack them over the top and you can look out wide and see all of that offensive weaponry and say, they cannot match it. They don't have our athleticism. They don't have our speed. And I'm not saying you're gonna be right. I'm saying you probably think this if you're Ohio State and you can totally go after their DBs and their linebackers and you can expose them early. And at that point you're up so big that it shaves out 50% of their offensive playbook like he did with Michigan State last week, and they're done. You crowbar their kneecaps in quarter one in their own building. You could choose to go about it that way. You also know there's another option here. And the other option is you can trust your offensive line, and you can trust that offensive backfield of yours, and you can run right at those big edge rushers from Michigan, and you can make them earn the right to rush the passer. Michigan is counting on being able to affect C.J. Stroud. A combination of weather, low 30s, a combination of crowd, obviously 112,000 people there Saturday, and a combination of an effective pass rush, they are hoping to get home and rattle that first year starter on the road. It's a pretty darn good bet that you can do it unless you run the ball right at them on first downs and it's constantly second, fourth, third, and one. At that point, the pass rush really does not have the kind of impact on this game that you hope it does. How would you go about it? What would be your approach early on? I think Ryan Day is going to opt for approach one. I think they are so revved up for this thing. I think they trust their recruiting and development so much. I think they believe at Ohio State, they still have a significant athletic advantage and speed advantage over Michigan. They have done everything they can possibly do to close the gap in those compartments at Michigan. I still think the Buckeyes believe they had that. Therefore, I believe they are going to go for the throat early. Now they may swing and miss, or they may hit a home run. Which brings me to my next point. Second shout out of the show for our buddies at College Football Nerds. Uh, sometimes I'll go watch their preview videos before I do our preview. It is, I, I promise you this, it is the only other entity out there. Otherwise I shut myself off to the world, but I will go watch their preview videos. Number one, cause they put them out like Saturday, five minutes after the game ends. And number two, they have their own proprietary model as well. I'm always curious about what their model is saying. Their model looks very similar to ours. In fact, ours is a little bit closer in this game than theirs is even this week, but I thought they made a very good point, and I would encourage you, go watch their Ohio State and Michigan preview video. Those guys encouraged me to get into this space. I probably wouldn't be here if it weren't for them saying that and, and continuing to nudge me. So there's always an appreciation there, but they made a really good point about the Michigan State game last week and how Ohio State went about things early, and I think it directly applies to this game. And essentially what it was, was Ohio State got up on Michigan State so quickly and so early with that 14-0 lead that it made Michigan State abandon the most effective parts of their offensive game plan, i.e. Kenneth Walker, who ended up running the ball less than 10 times, I think, the whole game. And at that point, you obviously have no shot. And what was already a big early lead turns into a complete blowout by halftime. And it was because 
you took what was already a good start and you rendered them totally ineffective and helpless and therefore they had no shot and you got huge margin early. Well, obviously, stands to reason, Ohio State looks at that and says, if that worked against Michigan State, it should work against Michigan, right? Like they want to do some of the same things. Why don't we just go get ourselves a three touchdown lead early against Michigan? Why don't more teams do? Why don't more teams try and score early? That's an interesting, it's an interesting concept there. Obviously, Michigan cannot allow this to happen. And so Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator there for Michigan, there's a formula for Michigan to win this game. The line's not 27. It is seven or eight, depending on where you're looking. He's got to trust his plan. You don't look at this particular game. I know it's different, but you don't look at it and do things totally different than what got you here. You're here because you're a really good team. You're in this position as a single-digit underdog against Ohio State for a reason. You got to trust your approach, and you got to let your players play, and you got to let Cade McNamara throw the ball, and you got to mix run and pass on early downs. But also, you have got to, on the other side of that ball, you got to hit CJ Stroud. Because you cannot have that crowd become a factor. You cannot have the weather become a factor unless you affect him early. This is what Michigan State certainly was not able to do last week. And also, Michigan State was not able to stop the fast start on the other side. You cannot be letting them get up on you early. You cannot let them do what you did to Michigan State if you're Michigan. You can't have 30-14 Ohio State. They're not coming back from that. But what I think they can do is I think they can look and they can say, for all the talk about us not facing an elite passing attack, how many of them have Ohio State faced where, where is the important point here, where there was offensive balance that was able to be maintained? How many good passing attacks have they faced where they did not render half of the opponent's offense pretty irrelevant? Now that's a credit to Ohio State, but you're sitting there thinking that you're better than all the teams they played. If you get them in that situation where it's one possession either way, and you got a good mixture of run-pass balance, you can make some plays against their secondary too, is my point. A lot of folks are going to talk about what Ohio State's going to do to your secondary. I guarantee you Michigan's looking at this and saying, there's a place to be made against uh, some of those safety spots. It's not that long ago that we were watching Nebraska, uh, in Ohio State go on the road against Nebraska, and we were watching Purdue make a play or two. So those are some things that watching Ohio State last week makes it hard to believe could happen, but it could happen. But I'll tell you the factor that I think is going to make this a close game. And that is our freeze point metaphor that we have not used that much this year, but I've been using it the last couple of weeks. Had to dust it off because there hasn't been an elite team out there offensively this year until Ohio State has come on as of late where we needed to use it. The freeze point was not met last week. These games are so dangerous. When you have a blowout, especially late in the year, when you have a blowout like we watched in person last week, Ohio State over Michigan State, it can dramatically skew your perception of reality. And it makes it impossible for your simple mind or my simple mind to fathom that anyone could beat that team or hang with that team that I just saw put 49 to nothing on the board by halftime. And that's not how football works. Here is what the freeze point essentially is. 32.4 degrees Fahrenheit, that's the freeze point. If you are not below it, it doesn't matter what the temperature is. It could be 34, it could be 74. And it's the same way defensively, or just team-wise. If you are not a certain caliber, Ohio State will just do the same thing to you. You could be the 38th best team in the country. I could be the 108th best team in the country. They would just blow both of us out. We would look no different, because neither of us meet the freeze point. Michigan does meet the freeze point. The question, as I said earlier in the week, 
Americans. How much below freezing are they? Are they just right at 32.4? Are they 25 degrees? You know, obviously that has to do a lot with how quick you can freeze something, how hard you can freeze something. Well, with Michigan, you know, how well you can rush the passer, how much effect you can have on C.J. Stroud, how much you impact him physically early in the game, how much that crowd's able to stay in it, and how well your secondary plays guys off the line and hangs with them and contests balls. You know, if you just eliminate guys running free in your secondary, you have no idea how many points that's worth relative to last week coming into this week. Everyone's going to have 56 to 7 or 49 to nothing in their head. It's 0 to 0. That's what the score is. And if you're a different caliber team that's below the freeze point, that's where you start. And you also think to yourself, not only is 49 nothing not in the cards, we could win this game. So just keep the freeze point in mind. If you turn this thing on midway through the third quarter and it's a dogfight and you're saying to yourself, how in the world is Michigan hanging with this team that was up 49 nothing at halftime last week? It's the freeze point. That's it. Now, I just, want, I just want credit if anyone says that on TV. So uh, let's take a look at the model, Jesse. Very controversial. The model is very controversial here. Ohio State is an eight-point favorite, which in and of itself has already surprised people because of the aforementioned blowout last week. The model is even shorter than that. Our model has Ohio State winning this game by five and a half points. Michigan may end up being one of our best bets this week because it crosses so many key numbers. I have not put it out yet because, quite frankly, I expect a ton more public money to come in on Ohio State. We could have a 9 or a 10 by kickoff. If we get to 10, suffice it to say we will be on the Wolverines. I am taking Ohio State to win the game. I think it is very close, obviously. I think it's a very close game. Um, would not shock me if Michigan pulls this out. It is the best shot they've had in a while. I think that coaching staff internally believes that. I think they'll have a solid plan in place. But look, you cannot count on Ohio State being down. They are going to come in as a better team than you and give you their absolute best shot. And if you can sustain that and withstand that and counterpunch, then you deserve to win. I'm telling you, I don't think many teams can do it. I still have questions as to whether Michigan can do it. But I think this is a much different matchup than last week, and I think Michigan will give themselves an opportunity in the second half to win this game. I think the Buckeyes are just a little bit too good. I'm going to take Ohio State to win, but I will take Michigan to cover. We're going to get back to previews in just a second because we still have several of them to go. I appreciate you being tuned in. If you are watching live, make sure you subscribe to the channel. You thought I was going to ask for a donation. I didn't. Subscribe to the channel. That's all I need you to do. That's it. It's free. You don't get spammed. Nothing happens. Just subscribe. We had like 500 people sub to the channel the other night when I asked. That's a really good conversion rate. I appreciate that. So just click that little red subscribe button. Uh, the latest coaching intel out there. So there's a lot of movement. And I first wanted to start with something that happened today. James Franklin has signed a 10-year extension. Jesse, Colin, how old will you be? 2031. James Franklin, at least the piece of paper he signed today, says he will be the Nittany Lions head coach through 2031. It's 10 years. It's about $7 million per. He's got, some, he's got some incentives and whatnot in there. Uh, descending buyout. It's a pretty standard-looking contract. What we don't know is all the other promises that he had to have been given behind the scenes. Now, look, I'm going to be full disclosure with you now that this is over. I don't think James Franklin's name was in the pool nearly to the degree you were led to believe at USC. That's just what I think. I got good reason to think that. Uh, but that's not to disparage him good for James Franklin. What I hope is I hope this is not the last time that we see a coach that may have options stick around. It's not the worst thing in the world. So James Franklin 
stays at Penn State. Now, here's what I was thinking when I read this news. Is this the only guy with options that's going to stick around? Because you see right now, you look out there and we have this wildly volatile coaching market. And what do you automatically think? Well, you automatically think anyone whose name is involved and who has options is just automatically going to be on the move. Why? Well, because I just think they should be on the move. Well, James Franklin didn't move. Who else may stay put? Because it made me think of Dave Aranda. And I wonder, have we put the cart before the horse with Dave Aranda? With all these jobs open, from Southern Cal to LSU to Florida, and Dave Aranda out there at little old Baylor, apologies to Dabo Swinney, little old Baylor out there, you know, who in the world would ever choose Baylor over USC or Florida? I don't know, maybe Dave Aranda would. I can tell you when we were out there a couple of weeks ago, uh, he didn't bat an eye when he looked us dead in our eyes and talked about how much he loved Baylor. And so all I'm asking, humbly, is with all the assumption that it's going to be not if but when Dave Aranda leaves, and the only question is which job is he going to take, I wonder if there may be an alternative in there, and that alternative could be Dave Aranda says, I appreciate it, I'm good here, and everyone goes, <gasps> Oh, man, how could he do that? Well, Matt Campbell's done it at Iowa State. I don't think people quite realize how some of these guys are wired differently, and they don't always view programs the same way the public does. The public looks at Baylor, and they see a rung on the coaching ladder. The public looks at Iowa State, Cincinnati, they see rungs on the coaching ladder. Well, Louisiana could fit that description, too. Billy Napier has let some opportunities go by. I don't know what Dave Aranda is going to do. I'm telling you right now, if Pate State had a job opening, I'd go lay down behind the guy's car until he agreed to be my head coach. So absolutely, if I were Florida or LSU or USC, I'd go after him. I think you're foolish if you don't. But I also am not going to assume that he's just ready to leave Baylor. I think it's been kind of irresponsible on my part that I've just assumed, oh, it's going to be one of them. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Look, I got a green Sharpie up here for Dave Aranda. You know, that's, that's kind of, um, that's some imagery I've had on the show that no one's picked up on. But I just made that up. But uh, Dave Aranda may have roots planted a little deeper in Waco, Texas than you've been led to believe. Let me just put it that way. So let's go to Florida. What's the latest with Florida? There's been a lot of Billy Napier smoke down there. I think it is legitimate. I don't particularly think a lot of this has been the best kept secret in the world. But when the Florida job came open, I mean, it stood to reason, you know, Billy Napier had in some ways slow played other jobs because he's been waiting for this opportunity. And I, when I say this opportunity, I'm not speaking about the Florida jobs specifically or exclusively, although I do think Florida has been on his very short list. And so it's open. Of course, Billy Napier wants the job. If you are Florida, if you are Scott Strickland and this guy checks your boxes, you hire him yesterday, get it done, get it done. Now, I think Florida is still doing their due diligence on some other guys whose names maybe you haven't heard. But if Billy Napier checks your boxes, number one, you hire him. And number two, you don't waste a moment asking yourself, why aren't we having to fight LSU for this guy? The reason LSU may or may not want him is totally inconsequential. You said it yourself. If you're Scott Strickland, you said it yourself. What the rest of college football is doing in their coaching searches should not affect the University of Florida. You were right. It was only 48, 72 hours ago. You were right then. You're still right now if you think that way. If Billy Napier is your guy, you go get yourself Billy Napier and you let him start putting together a staff. But I do believe that the same factor is possibly in play with Florida as was in play or still is theoretically with LSU. 
remember at the outset of the LSU coaching search, I told you it had been relayed to me, don't just focus on the names that are being reported. This is an extremely highly thought of job within the industry. There are going to be people reach out in a very clandestine manner. I think that's the first time we've ever used that word. And you're not going to hear about them until they sign a contract. And if they don't, you'll never hear about them. But they're happening. Those conversations are happening behind the scenes. I think there may be some of those conversations happening with the University of Florida. Could be a pro guy, could be a college guy, could be a guy you think is, is firmly planted wherever he is. And um, maybe he is. But maybe he's choosing to kick the tires. Maybe he's having his agent choose to kick the tires. This stuff happens. And that's why I wish we could get some ADs write some books on this stuff long after they're finished. So I think you'd be really surprised how much correspondence happens. It never goes anywhere most of the time. But how much kind of um, just that initial surface-based conversation happens. I think that's going to happen with Florida. I think it is happening. With LSU, I believe the word on the street right now that they are not all that interested in Billy Napier. I believe that. I think the reasons may be a little short-sighted, but I do believe that. I don't think he's out of it for the LSU job, but I think he's down the list a little ways for the LSU job. Again, the reasons don't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, I, I don't really care if you coach at Louisiana Lafayette or a high school in Louisiana. If you're the right guy, you're the right guy. But I'm not making the decision down there. Scott Woodward is. However, there's also a lot of Lincoln Riley smoke still with this LSU job, which is why... I think this weekend could be very dramatic. Think about this with me now. I'm sure the message boards over in Cajun country have already. But the rest of the country is kind of passively watching this. So let's dive in for a second. Lincoln Riley has not shot this down. He's the head coach at Oklahoma. And LSU has not hired anyone. So they're still out there and they're big game hunting. This Saturday's big. Because if Oklahoma loses, there is no conference championship to go play for. There is no college football playoff spot left to vie for. And at that point, if it is Lincoln Riley, you'll know. You'll know within 24 or 48 hours, I would imagine. Now, here's what's going to be really juicy. What if Oklahoma loses Saturday and then there is no Lincoln Riley announcement? And that means LSU is probably not landing Lincoln Riley, but they still haven't named anyone, which means all of a sudden, are we waiting for another coach whose season is still going on? Are we waiting for a guy from the NFL whose season is still a month away from concluding? These calendars do not sync up. They never do. This is a mess. The way the early signing day and the transfer portal and coaching searches work, it's a total mess. Uh, but it, it does have to happen this way. Watch Saturday. If OU loses, watch Saturday very, very closely. A Sunday, I guess, would be the day to watch closely. Also, Luke Fickle. Speaking of calendars, now Luke Fickle's the head coach at Cincinnati right now, and I've been hearing about him for about a year from people close to him who have said his name's always out there. This is kind of like Matt Campbell. He is not a guy who's in a hurry to get out of here. Billy Napier at Louisiana has been the same way. He's not a guy who's in a hurry to get out of here. Like everyone thinks if you're at Cincinnati, you must just be waiting on the first person to cast their eyes your way and then you just wave like you're Tom Hanks on the deserted island. Help, help, come get me. That's not how Luke Fickle views his job. They genuinely like being in Cincinnati. They are a, an Ohio family. Uh, they're about to be in a Power Five conference anyway if you just stay at Cincinnati. And they're happy. That's the best way I can put it. They're happy. 
And so, yeah, I, I don't think that, you know, Luke Fickle is going to coach 30 years and retire at Cincinnati, but it may be just like Billy Napier or it may be like Matt Campbell at Iowa State. It's going to take a perfect situation to draw him away. And I can tell you right now, if that guy goes undefeated and they're in the playoff, he's not entertaining your offer until their season's over. And so at that point, if you want to hire him, you're sitting there waiting until January. Are you going to do that? I mean, if he's your guy, theoretically you should, but you're really going to do that? So that's something to keep in mind with a lot of these guys. These calendars, they rarely sync up the way you want them to. And so whether it's Lincoln Riley or whether it's Luke Fickle, if you want to hire him, you need to root against him right now. The sooner their season ends and the sooner that those high stakes are off the table, the quicker, in theory, you'd be able to hire him. All right, let's run through some more playoff, uh, well, playoff implications on these games, I guess is the best way to put it. We can't predict the playoff yet. Alabama at Auburn, the Iron Bowl this Saturday. It is 3.30 Eastern time. It's on CBS. This is an absurdly high number. Alabama's favored by 19 and a half as of this hour. Uh, I have so radically flipped on this game today, so much so that I had to have Jesse make a new graphic. So I'm going to tell you what the model thinks in a second. But the model has a lean. I got a lean, and we are disagreeing. And unlike most of the time, I think I'm going to be right this time when I disagree with the model. So something that's been flying under the radar because Alabama has struggled defensively is they haven't struggled across the board defensively. Uh, they've been a really good run defense. It's the number two run defense in the SEC right now. And it's, it's something that I think disproportionately matters in this game because you've got T.J. Finley in there as your backup quarterback uh, for Auburn. And their only hope in this game, if you want to pull an upset, I'm not talking about covering. If you want to pull an upset, you've got to ride Tank Bigsby. And even the games where Bama struggled a little bit, they've been good. Arkansas had 110 on the ground last week. Now, they almost won because they made way too many explosive plays through the air, and they had a, a fake field goal touchdown, and they did the things through the air and on special teams that were necessary to win the game. But they didn't run it. They didn't really run it all that effectively at all. I don't think Auburn's going to Saturday either. Now, here's the difference. Arkansas had a changeup and a curveball. They had other ways they could generate offense. How is Auburn about to generate offense against Alabama? See, this is what I kept coming back to today. I got to tell you, I woke up this morning. I had already bet money on Auburn. I hadn't put it out as the best bet. I had already bet Auburn plus 20 a couple days ago. And I reversed it today. This is how radically my opinion changed. So let's dive into this further. Because you got the run defense aspect. But I think there's something else that's been glaringly obvious. Because, see, here's the path for Auburn. Here's where I was before I zoomed in on a little bit. Alabama, we've seen them vulnerable several times this year. And it's been external stuff, which normally doesn't phase Alabama. I've been of the opinion they've played their best football on the road in their better years under Nick Saban. Not this year. They played at Florida, almost lost. Tough road environment. They played at Texas A&M, got beat. Tough road environment. Well, this is the next toughest road environment they will have played in and maybe the toughest they play in all year. I've been down there several times when they go to Auburn. I've seen them take the much better team in there and get beat or struggle. They ran Derrick Henry, I think, 46 times one day against Auburn and didn't break him until late in the fourth quarter. That's the way that that game normally is when it's down there. The external stuff has to impact Bama. And... Auburn has to run the ball a lot better than numbers say they should be able to for them to have a shot here. I think it's a horrible matchup for Auburn. I'm telling you, I think it's a really bad matchup for them. And if those externals don't matter, 
And if Bama has a level of the same offensive productivity they did last week, uh, the stat sheet screams four touchdown win for Bama last week, but it wasn't. It was a one touchdown win. Well, a lot of times what that means is you may have a line you can take advantage of the following week. But because a lot of those externals, they're not going to carry over, but the production will carry over. So we come into this Iron Bowl, and I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking to myself, horrible matchup for Auburn. If the externals are just neutralized, or even if they just have a slight effect on Alabama, my field changes wholesale on this game, and it did today. So a couple of things. I'm going to give you the model's take first, and then I'm going to tell you a couple of things that I think will happen as a result of this outcome because I'm very clear on how I feel about this now. So the Vegas number right now, as you see on the bottom of your screen, it's Bama minus 19 and a half. Jesse, let's show them what the model thinks, and then I'm gonna tell you why I disagree. So the model has Alabama minus 15. That's early in the week why I moved on Auburn. I got them at plus 20, they're plus 19 and a half right now. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's right at all. And the model for the record uh, nailed Bama last week. In fact, it's, it's had a good grip on Bama for a little while. This is a bad matchup. It's a really bad matchup. I don't know how Auburn is scoring points. And I think I do know how Bama is scoring points. And so I'm going to take Bama to win. And in an extreme rarity for playing the Iron Bowl down there, I think they're going to cover. Like, I think they're going to run it up on Auburn Saturday. And here's what's going to happen. One thing on each side of this coin. First thing is there's going to be some heat on Brian Harson because there's been a lot of talk about him and the Washington job. I told you the other day, there is some validity to the juice. I didn't tell you anything was anywhere close to final. I'm not telling you that now. I'm telling you the rumors have persisted and it's gonna rub that fan base the wrong way. If they limp to the finish line, they don't care if it's a backup quarterback or not. If they limp to the finish line and they also gotta deal with these rumors out there that haven't been totally squashed yet, those Auburn folks are gonna be aggravated. Second thing that's gonna happen, if Bama does run it up on Auburn, that's the last thing you'll see before they play Georgia. So you will have seen a really good offensive performance against Arkansas. Then you will have seen a total team performance against Auburn. And then they're going to play Georgia. And right now, I think the public feel is Georgia, significant edge against Alabama. If we get the outcome I think we're going to get here, I think that game will be viewed in the public eye as being a lot more evenly matched than it is right now. So just keep those things in mind. I'm going to take Bama to win. I'm going to take Bama to cover. Several more predictions to run through as we wrap the show up. And then I have 11 best bets for you before we go off air. Again, thank you for being tuned in if you're watching live. What do I have to do? I have to tell you, I'm not going to give you the high. I'm giving you the full hello. If you're watching live, you get the full hello tonight. Thank you. Um, so let's go other week 13, a.k.a. rivalry week predictions here. Let's start on Thanksgiving night. Ole Miss at Mississippi State. There's a lot of weird point spreads out there, aren't there? For instance, you guys were shocked that Mississippi State is favored over Ole Miss. Ole Miss is number nine in the country. What are we doing right here? Well, Mike Leach and company are favored by one. So the spread I know surprised a lot of you. I've, been, I've probably been hit up about this point spread more than any other point spread this week. I think there's going to be a lot of talk about whether Mississippi State can handle that Ole Miss passing game. And there should be. It's a tough passing game to hold uh, down under you know, certain numbers. But I don't think there's going to be enough talk about what Ole Miss defensively can do to limit Will Rogers. That dude's playing very, very high-level football right now. And so I looked at our model, and I said, model, how wrong is this point spread? And you know what the model said? The spread's wrong. But it didn't say in favor of Ole Miss. Our model likes Mississippi State to win by three and a half. And so it thinks the line should be even more 
on the side of the Mississippi State Bulldogs. I can't believe I'm doing it. I'm going to take Mississippi State to win. I'll take Mississippi State to cover. I hate doing it because there are people out there, and I think they've got half-decent reason to feel this way, who really believe I hate Ole Miss because we've had them ranked high in the JP poll, but I've picked them to lose so many games because every time that we have had a game we've picked on Ole Miss, there's been some kind of situational dynamic in play that for whatever reason has made me go against them. I didn't even realize how many times I'd picked against them until someone pointed it out the other day, and now I'm doing it again. It won't even matter if they do lose. People will still think I hate them. Uh, I don't hate them. I've had them ranked higher than everyone all year. But I do think Mississippi State's got an edge here. So I'm going to take the Bulldogs to win and cover the one point. Uh, let's go Saturday. Bedlam, Oklahoma at Oklahoma State. The Cowboys are currently four-point favorites in this thing. It is a night game. There is, if you're watching on YouTube, I want you to look at what I'm doing with my hands. You see how much room that is? That's about how much room there is between the sidelines and the fans in Stillwater. It's very tight, very, very tight, very compact there at T. Boone Pickens Stadium. Uh, Oklahoma State's favored here. They should be favored here. I do not feel good about Oklahoma's chances. <laughs> I just got to square with you. I was talking about Auburn and not knowing where their points are going to come from. I'm not totally sure where Oklahoma's points are going to come from. Last week, they beat Iowa State, and that's a really good win. Here's the problem as it relates to this week. They did not top 100 yards passing last week. And Oklahoma State has one of the five best run defenses in college football. So you're not going to win running the ball on them. You have got to mix it up. You've got to be more balanced. You've got to be able to have success throwing the ball. And the problem is, I think Oklahoma is just as likely to turn the ball over if they take to the air too consistently as they are to drive it down the field on Oklahoma State. Now, the good news is Oklahoma State's probably not going to pull away from you. You know, last, last week they dominated Texas Tech. Well, it was 23 to nothing. When you know that you're not giving up much, you know you don't have to score much. So I think it's going to be that kind of game. Uh, but I think in the end, I'm going to take that plus this road environment, which is going to be out of this world. I'm going to take Oklahoma State to win it. I even think Oklahoma State's going to cover. I think our model has them by six. So our model leans Oklahoma State to cover even at four. So we will take Cowboys to win. Cowboys to cover, which punches their ticket to the Big 12 championship game to, I believe, face Baylor. Let's move on to another night game on Saturday. Texas A&M, a six and a half point favorite on the road at LSU. Our model loves A&M. It's one of our best bets. We moved on it early in the week. Uh, we got it at six. So our model has them at 10. Our model has A&M winning by 10. They do have the ability, I think, to control the line of scrimmage against LSU when it comes to their defense against this LSU offense. What I don't think they necessarily have the ability to just do for four quarters is have their offensive line control things too, to where they can just run the ball and they don't really even have to take all that many chances with Calzada. Now, I think they will. I think Zach Calzada's got to do enough through the air here or else this is going to be a game where you watch it and you feel like you've really controlled it, but yet it's one possession because you haven't done enough. You haven't had enough explosivity in the passing game and you can't have that. If you'll demoralize them early, number one, they'll lay down for you. And number two, that crowd will empty out. I don't know that they'll have more than 75 or 80,000 there to begin with Saturday night. There were some embarrassing shots taken the other night of Tiger Stadium. Now, granted, they were playing a local high school, but whew, there weren't a lot of folks there. I mean, the picture I saw, I don't even want to put an over-under on it. There were not a lot of folks there. It was less than a bad spring game. Let me put it that way. So I don't know how much fight LSU is going to have in them, but... 
there is an external factor in play in this game that I normally wouldn't give the time of day. But I think it mattered when LSU played Bama, and I think it'll matter here. After LSU almost beat Alabama, Ed Orgeron revealed something. And he revealed that after they played Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin called him up and basically told him everything it took to beat him. And one of the things was he said, Coach, you know you're, uh, you're running the same thing defensively every play, right? He said, oh, no, oh, no. So they changed everything during the bye week and, and almost beat Bama. And so the reason I bring that up is because Ole Miss had a ton of success against Texas A&M. They beat them. They should have beaten them way more soundly than they did. And so I wonder if there's been a conversation between Lane Kiffin and Oled Orgeron. Last regular season game down there at LSU, I just wonder that. Will it matter? Will it not matter even if they did? I think it mattered against Bama, so we'll see. Uh, but I am taking AM to win and cover because I cannot prove what I just said is going to matter at all. What about Clemson and South Carolina? There is some renewed optimism in Columbia. This line is only 11 and a half, only, yeah, 11 and a half though. A lot better than what you thought it would be at the beginning of the year. This is a 7.30 Eastern time game. You know where they're playing it? SEC Network. I know the Clemson folks have to love that. This game has the feel of what I call close or coffin. It's either one possession or someone's getting skull drug. That someone probably would be South Carolina. I think it's one possession or a blowout. Don't really think there's a whole lot of in-between here. What is the path to the upset for Carolina? I think a few things. Uh, it would greatly help me if you could score one non-offensive touchdown, the old not, as they call it. Uh, number two, you have to limit yards after catch. Clemson's receivers played a pretty good game last week. They may make some plays on you, but you got to limit yards after catch. Because the third thing is, you can't be giving that stuff up and also give the run up. And I think Clemson is going to commit to probably running the ball about 70-30 relative to pass here. South Carolina has struggled against the run. That is clearly the best shot Clemson has to not only win this game, but really take a lot of the air out of the game in general. It's going to be tough, I think, for South Carolina to find enough points. I, they got to hold Clemson. I think the number may be about five yards per carry or less because it's got to be realistic. Uh, but it's also, you know, got to be executable. And I think that number, five yards per carry, it's going to give Clemson some success, but they're not going to run it all over you for 300 yards like they did last week. Having said that, can't ignore the model. The model likes Clemson by over two touchdowns. So I will take Clemson to win. I will take Clemson to cover. But if the mm, not unfathomable, if the unlikely were to happen, if the upset were to be pulled, all of a sudden, we take that SEC Coach of the Year argument and we just throw it out the window and we may have a new leader in the clubhouse. It may be Shane Beamer. So, crazier things have happened. So, let's keep an eye on that one. I am taking Clemson to win and cover, though. Last game here. Penn State is at Michigan State. Michigan State is a one-point favorite. Are they right now? No, Penn Jesse, when did Penn State get favored? Well, you know what? We got them early in the week as a best bet, and we got Penn State plus one and a half. So, good for us. We were on the wrong side of some live movement this week. We don't think it's going to matter. Uh, but this is a Saturday 3.30 game on ABC. Sneaky important game for both sides. Think about what's on the line here now. Michigan State got drugged last week. And so if they lose this game, those are, those are two of the most bitter-tasting pills that could possibly be left in your mouth to end a season. Still a huge overachievement of a season, but if you're 9-3, 10-2 just sounds so much better than 9-3. There's also bowl ramifications here. Uh, as for Penn State, you've got seven and five or eight and four. 
Those are your two options on how you finish here. Sean Clifford is going to start at quarterback for Penn State. Now, this was met with mixed reaction uh, there uh, amongst the Penn State faithful, and I understand why I get all that. However, if Sean Clifford's ever going to have a career day, I think he had a good game against Ohio State, but if he's going to rewrite his own record books, given what we saw last week, this is the secondary that he's got to do it against. And so I am going to roll the dice on Sean Clifford one more time. I feel like I've done this a million times. I feel like I'm right at 500. Uh, so let's take Penn State to win. The model also likes him to cover, obviously. Uh, so we have it as one of our best bets, which we're about to list momentarily. We will take Penn State to win. We will take Penn State to cover and finish 8-4. and four. Still a really good year for Michigan State. We will wrap the show up. Accordingly, I have in my hand our 11 best bets of the week. Northern Illinois is playing right now. They're plus three and a half. Don't even tell me how it's going. Listen close. I'm not even going to give you the full matchup. These are too many games to give you the full matchup. Ohio, minus five and a half. NC State, minus six and a half. Arkansas, minus 13 and a half. We did get that at minus a dime. However, we like it at 14. We like it at 14 and a half, but we're not endorsing it at 14 and a half. Uh, we, think, we think they're going to blow, who are they playing, Missouri? We think they're going to blow Missouri out. Arkansas minus 13 and a half is the number for our records, though. A&M minus 6 and a half. Syracuse plus 11. Now, this number's moved. You can get a better number than 11 right now. We don't think it's going to matter. So we, we will be comfortable. with it. It's kind of like the Virginia game last week. You know, Virginia was plus 12. Then they were plus 14 and a half. Well, they lost by 10. So we were good either way. Syracuse plus 11. Penn State plus one and a half. We just talked about that one. Notre Dame minus 17. Here are new games. West Virginia minus 15 and a half. Wyoming minus 10. And this one I love. Minnesota finally moved to seven. We waited and waited and we got it. Minnesota plus seven. So here we go. Wyoming minus 10. West Virginia minus 15 and a hook. Notre Dame minus 17. Penn State plus one and a half. Cuse plus 11. A&M minus six and a half. Arkansas minus 13 and a half. NC State minus six and a half, Ohio minus five and a half, and Northern Illinois plus three and a half. Look, from me to you, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you guys so much. There is no entity on the face of this earth that has more to be thankful for than our show and all the folks associated with our show, which numbers in the millions per month now. I mean, literally, we got millions of people in this audience. So thank you. Because even though it's a really big audience, it's a national audience, it's very, very communal. I put out a call the other night, for example, and I said, I need some parking in Michigan. You know how many people I had within one square mile radius of Michigan Stadium email me? I cannot believe we have that many people at that specific pinpoint on a map listening, but we do. So parking's been taken care of. I appreciate you guys for coming through. I knew you would. Uh, safe travels. I'm about to drive uh, like five minutes from now. I'm about to drive down to Georgia tonight. So thank you so much. We will not have a show Thursday. I got you a Late Kick Extra podcast up today. A lot of good storytelling from this past weekend on that one. So make sure while you're there, give us a five-star review. Make sure while you're on the YouTube channel, subscribe. We've had our best numbers that we've ever had over the last few weeks. And uh, the needle is just pointing upward and upward and upward. So thank you so much for that. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pate. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys. Looking forward to a monster rivalry weekend. And of course, we'll be right back here to talk about it Sunday night. Take care. God bless.